Federal regulators repeatedly point out the importance of conducting a HIPAA security risk analysis to address vulnerabilities and risks that could lead to breaches. But many healthcare sector organizations fail to conduct comprehensive enterprise-wide assessments. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with David Lowy, Information Security Officer at the State University of New York, or SUNY, Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn. David will be discussing why he thinks it's critical for healthcare sector organizations to conduct an internal security self-assessment and some tips for successfully performing these assessments. So now, David, for starters, what's the difference between an internal security self-assessment and a HIPAA security risk analysis? How are they the same, and how do they differ? And if they do differ, should organizations conduct both? I think organizations can combine them. The difference is that internal security self-assessment is very security-centric in terms of entire systems. And HIPAA security risk analysis is PHI, protected health information, primarily centric. If you combine the two, you can kill two birds with one stone, and the outcome is certainly usable for the entire continuum. So, David, who should be involved with an internal security self-assessment, and are these internal assessments meant only for organizations that have the internal resources and expertise to conduct these sorts of assessments? I think the answer to that is yes. The people who should be involved with it are somebody either, depending on the size of the organization, they may have an audit team. It should be somebody who understands technology and understands security and controls. There are various models. CMS has one. There's also a NIST model that can give you the basic guidelines and parameters for these assessments. You don't have to redesign or reinvent the wheel, but you have to be able to ask the correct questions and understand the answers and understand when you ask for specific proof, understand what the proof is so you can make sure that it suffices. So, David, you mentioned that HIPAA security risk assessments typically focus on PHI. What should be assessed with the internal self-assessment? It is certainly wider than PHI. It is, for instance, here at SUNY, we have PHI, and then we have an educational arm, and we have a research arm. The research arm and educational arm do not necessarily touch PHI. Nevertheless, if there are breaches in terms of folks breaking into our systems, it could be relatively devastating to our operation, which is why security, we have to look at the entire gamut and not just PHI. PHI is a subset of a security self-assessment, PHI being PHI-centric. So now, David, in terms of the self-assessments that are conducted at your organization, what are the most important tips that you can share that could help other healthcare entities? Believe it or not, they have probably very little to do with the assessment. What we do here is very important that our entire community understands that we are coming out 
and we are going to be doing an assessment, but we're not the bad guys. We're working with the folks that we are assessing before and to fix any abnormalities, any anomalies, any gaps we have so that when CMS or other auditors come in to do a formal assessment, we know what the gaps are, we have them fixed, and we're ready, and the assessors will find few, hopefully much fewer gaps and and anomalies within our systems. So now, David, as I said earlier, OCR has found that the lack of a comprehensive or enterprise-wide risk analysis at many organizations, especially when OCR conducts their breach investigations, and these insufficient risk analyses have often been cited in many OCR HIPAA settlements. Why do you think so many healthcare entities have such a hard time with HIPAA risk analysis, and any tips for the best way to improve these risk analysis deficiencies? I think there's a couple of reasons. One is that IT is so flat out right now, and if you look at the financials of healthcare organizations, it is a money issue. I think part of the issue is that it is difficult to afford additional resources, and in terms of the healthcare organizations that I've worked with, plates are so full that it gets put on the back burner. Traditionally, what I have seen is that healthcare organizations are firefighters. We put out the current fires. We don't look forward and take a proactive role in risk amelioration. I think that's one of them. I, I believe the other problem is that HIPAA has two or well, multiple sides to it, but really there is security and then there is privacy, and it's very hard. We have over 11,000 employees. We do a regular training process, and we are just starting to follow and do a monthly newsletter. Nevertheless, it is difficult when you have 11,000 employees to keep them up to date with what the different regs are and to let them understand when you have a provider, for instance, who's more interested in patient care than he is in whether or not a form is turned around so other patients can see it. It's a very, very difficult to get folks on board and excited about it. And so it really, it goes back to the last question. I think part of HIPAA and risk amelioration has nothing to do with security per se or technology, a lot of it has to do with with a public relations campaign, an internal public relations campaign. And David, on a slightly different topic, is there anything in particular that's topping your list of privacy and security priorities for 2017? I think yes. We are doing a couple of things. We are extending and revisiting all of our policies and procedures. We have found that because we are a very large institution with a educational branch with medical school and other healthcare related schools, as well as a large research organization and a large hospital, that we need to develop policies separate from procedures, and we have to let every one of our institutions under the umbrella develop separate procedures to support the policy. And we are going back and redoing many of our policies and the procedures as I described so that we can comply on a as-needed basis 
to a specific policy that is required by HIPAA and other legal entities. That's the first one. The second one is we are constantly adjusting our assessment tool to support best practices. We're also adjusting it because we are in New York State and every state has this. We are also adjusting it to fit New York State law as well as federal law. And we are adjusting it to fit State University of New York requirements as well. And a HIPAA risk assessment tool, it has to be organic and constantly fulfill those needs. I think those are the two largest priorities or largest pieces of work that my office is attempting to do this next year. And finally, David, I understand that you were involved in the early drafting of HIPAA. Could you tell us very briefly about your involvement and what is the biggest surprise to you in how HIPAA has evolved? I was very fortunate. My ex-wife developed many, many of the exhibits at the Kennedy Library in Boston. And through her, I met Teddy Kennedy and Dave Powers. One day, we were sitting around on a Friday, and Teddy and David were chatting. I happened to be in David's office at the Kennedy Library. And Teddy looked at me and said, now that Y2K is rolled down, how would you like to come work for me and work on the HIPAA legislation? And I worked for Teddy Kennedy working on the HIPAA legislation in Washington. Certainly, I was one member of a team. I think my biggest surprise out of what has popped out of it is it was really looked at as part of the precursor to a national health database. And there are many wonderful models in Europe as well as the VA here has been very, very successful modeling that. And I'm very surprised that we do not have a national health database yet. That national health database has, by executive order under Bush, is in place, but it hasn't been funded yet. And HIPAA was really the rules that how we are going to secure that national health database. And I think that's my biggest surprise that that hasn't happened yet. And was that database sort of put on the back burner due to privacy concerns? No, it was put on the back burner due to fund, no funding. It was signed by Bush as an executive order, but he, the government didn't fund it. Do you have any thoughts on whether or not that will ever get funded? I don't have a clue. I hope it will. Quite frankly, I am a retired military, and I went to the VA for health care in Boston multiple years ago. I was in Puerto Rico and I got sick and they were able to look at my recent tests and my recent chart in Boston and pick up where I, where things got left off there rather than having to redo the entire, all of the testing and everything involved with treating me. It certainly saved a lot of time and it, I'm sure that it saved a lot of money too. And as we are becoming more cost-centric, I wouldn't be surprised to see it become funded in the, in the relatively near term, although with a new administration coming up, who knows? Thanks, David. I've been speaking to David Lowy. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.